This is the Extra Point Podcast. During this podcast, we will dive deeper into our Sunday teaching and share practical next steps for your faith journey. Now, let's kick off the Extra Point. Hey, welcome to the Extra Point Podcast. My name is Anna Blake. I'm the youth pastor here at Southridge Church. And with us is Scott Beha, our teaching um, pastor, senior pastor here. He's been sharing through a series called Stained Glass Crash. We just finished up week nine, and we're going to dive a little bit deeper today. Um, so just kind of off the top, Scott, what are some things that you'd like to um, mention that maybe we missed or some highlights that you think that we should dive deeper into? Yeah, so yesterday I got to share from one of my favorite stories that Jesus ever told, um, the tax collector and the Pharisee, or sometimes in the older translations it says the Pharisee and the public publican. Um, <laughs> and most people don't know what a publican yeah. is, including me. Yeah. So I'm glad when they call him a tax collector instead. It just makes more sense. Uh, yeah, just make it more simple for people like me. But I love that story because, um, and, and this is one of the things I really drove home yesterday, was if you were to ask the first century audience when they heard heard the setup, when they said, verse 10 says, a tax collector and a Pharisee went to the temple to pray. If you were to ask after that verse, all right, which one of these do you think Jesus is going to say is the model, which one of them is the hero, which one of them is the villain, they would all think, well, the Pharisee, he's upright. He doesn't do the things that the tax collector does. He doesn't cheat us. He doesn't rob from us. He doesn't work for Rome. He's regular in his worship. He's ceremonially clean because he doesn't mess around with Gentiles and on and on and on. They would have said, definitely the Pharisee. And then they would have said, oh, the tax collector, he's a mess. Jesus isn't going to want anything to do with him. That's what the first century audience would have thought. And then when you get to verse 14, you realize, like, Jesus has completely flipped it on. He goes, like, no, actually, the one that you think is going to be the hero is actually shown to have major issues. And the one that you think is going to be the villain is actually the one that walks away justified before God. And that's what I love so much about the story is that the people um, that sometimes we look at as the most religious are sometimes the ones with the most issues. Um, And sometimes the people that look the most irreligious um, are sometimes the ones that are knocking right on heaven's door and we don't even know it. I think that's why. I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, um, even though I don't fully agree with this theology in this statement, I will um, <laughs> preface that when he said the two things that you'll be shocked by when you get to heaven, um, I'll change his quote yep. for him all these years later, is when you get to the new heavens and the new earth right. is the people that are there and the people that aren't there. Yeah. Um, oh, because yeah. I, I'm telling you, there's going to be people that you think because you saw them teach Sunday school or because you saw them on the worship team every single week, that are going to be absent from the new heavens and the new earth, and there's going to be people that you're you're going to know from your community, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're going to be like, what, yeah. how did you get in here? Did yeah. you find a ticket? Like, right. was this like a Willy Wonka type situation? You found a golden <laughs> ticket, and they just had to let you in? Like, yeah. you're there's going to be those situations for some people because mm. who we think are, is truly seeking God is not always the person that's actually seeking God or closest to God, and that's why the power of that story is yeah. that it's just a total role reversal. Um, because I, and this is something I've learned in ministry really recently. Like, there are some folks that have some pretty glaring stuff in their life that is kind of 
like the church would go like, hey, you need to clean that up. Yeah. But when I interact with them, I go like, wow, God is like really doing something in their life, even yeah. though let's say they have this other thing going on. And that I've interacted with people that have been in the church for like years. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, holy cow, there is something wrong yeah. that you would say that, that you would do that, that you would treat someone in that manner like it's it's so bizarre to me uh, and that's something the lord's teaching me a lot is that you can't always tell um on the outside what's really going on on the inside yeah i think there's a ton to be said about that and um for anybody who missed um the sunday sermon you're just hearing this you have to go back and listen you have to listen to um the supporting points in scripture because i I do see this in church culture. I see this even outside of it. Friends and family who look in to the church. One of the things we talked, uh, you talked about was um, almost two categories of hypocrites. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I found value in both of those. Yeah. Because I've heard those conversations. I've had loved ones yeah. share um, one of those versions, and then I've heard others share um, people in ministry, people who are trying to follow Jesus, and say. I, I feel like a hypocrite because yeah. I can't get this stuff right in my life. Yeah. Um, do you want to dive any deeper into that? Or, yeah. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, and I, I don't – so I, I say there's two types of hypocrites, um, but I don't, I don't mean it in the sense that that's a true statement. Right. I mean that in the sense that people categorize, categorize it like that because I wouldn't say – so that first group of people that, that I pointed out in the sermon was there's people that are genuinely trying to follow Jesus. Yeah. And I know that there are certain camps in the Christian um, sector that would say that what I'm getting ready to say is categorically false, and probably some of those are a little bit closer to home than what we would like to yeah. admit. But there are Christians that don't have it all together, and yet they love Jesus with their whole heart, and they fall short from time to time. And from time to time, they're going to look like hypocrites because of that. But that doesn't actually make them a hypocrite. See, inherent in the gospel is our need for a Savior and our need for transformation, which means that from time to time, we're going to blow it. Yeah. Um, that doesn't make someone a hypocrite, although I can see why outside the church, right. given a small sample size of someone's life, you might go like, oh, you're a hypocrite <laughs> yeah. because you, like, you, know, you did this or whatever. Like you acted like an idiot in that situation, or you said something that you shouldn't have done, or, or you posted that on Facebook. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's another that, that if if we want to call that hypocrisy, you can do that. But that's the type of expected hypocrisy that is evident actually in the scriptures. That goes, yeah. People are gonna give it their all if they're serious about this, and sometimes they're they're just going to fall just short. Not gonna make it. Sometimes yep. they're gonna give in to temptation. Sometimes they are going to be having a bad day, and I mean, we can try to theologically wiggle our way out of call, not calling that sin and saying that those are just human flaws or weaknesses yeah. or whatnot. That's nonsense. It's sin, but it's all it's sin that Jesus died for. Mm-hmm. And in a, someone that's truly seeking the Lord that falls short, um, and, and the way that you'll know that if you're in that camp is that when you do fall short, you feel it. You fi- oh, you feel you it. You cannot, yep. if you're truly following after Jesus, when you fall short, you will feel it. Yeah. People that don't, you fall into this other camp yeah. of the true hypocrite that you are nothing more than playing a game yeah like and and this is i think the this is and i said the second service 
yesterday I didn't get to say it in the first service. This is the most difficult group of people to reach because they never know that the sermon's for them. Yeah. Um, or if they do know it, they're not interested in it. They're not. They're just interested in playing the game. They like like the word hypocrite in Greek comes from the Greek actors that used to wear a big mask, mm. and they know it. Like they know that that's true of them, um, and they're not interested in anything more. And it doesn't matter what an eloquent um, gospel presentation we we give. It does. I mean, all of that. Like they are almost impervious to yeah. it. Trying to get the church saved is going to be the most difficult um, thing that we could do in the next couple of uh, decades. Yeah. I feel like those are conversations that I end up um, having a lot as, as I work in discipleship and discipling up um, young leaders, uh, mm-hmm. teenagers. They'll say, yeah, but so-and-so, they, they do this. I say, yeah, I know. But they're a work in progress. Like, we got to have yeah. grace in that. Like, we've got to have, you know, we've got to still love people where they are. And then trying to still say the things like, hey, you are missing the mark here. And yeah. saying it from a standpoint of believer to believer. Yeah. Saying, hey, as, as a believer, I want to try to help you out of this. And sometimes that's so much harder than it should be. Yeah. Um, but the way that you necessary. know that someone's genuine in this it, and and I saw this firsthand one time that I was having to do some church discipline. Is if you if when you confront a true believer, somebody that's, hey, I'm following Jesus, I'm in love with Jesus, but I, mm-hmm. I got some issues. When you confront a person like that, you find just like the tax collector in the story, you find contrition, mm-hmm. you find repentance, you find humility. Yeah. When you bump up against one of those uh, hypocrites one of the people in the church wearing the mask, they're worried about their reputation. Yeah. They're worried about who all knows about this. Who mm. knows that I did this? Who did you tell this to? Mm. They're worried about, yeah. are you going to take me off the stage? Are you going to take my teaching ability away? Are you going to remove me from this ministry? That's what they're most worried about yeah. when you confront one of those false Christians in the church. When you, when you confront someone that's truly following Jesus, you will find an uh, attitude of humility that goes, you know what, I did mess up. And I don't care who knows it because I'm going to lean on the mercy of Jesus in this moment. I'm not going to try to sweep it under the rug. I'm not going to try to hide from it or anything yeah. else. That's the difference is when a true Christian is confronted, there is repentance. There yeah. is a godly sorrow over what they have done. There is no grasping for reputation whatsoever in that moment. They yeah. do not, like, like look, pull me out in front of everybody on I will, you know, I will admit this. Like, yeah. there's that going on, whereas um, the false Christian is only worried about concealing their sin and not repenting mm-hmm. of it because they only want to conceal it the way they can keep wearing their mask. Yeah. It's the way they can keep it. And, and this is hard in the church to decipher between these two groups um, because some, some people think that they're in one group when they're really in the other. Yeah. I mean, it's hard and because you've got to protect people. Like, you, you work with teenagers. Yeah. How do we know which of our youth volunteers are which one? It's right. it's so hard because um, you've got youth that are probably looking and going, well, this person does this, yeah, but they're a work in progress, or are they, yeah, a, or, right. or are they a wolf in sheep's clothing? Right. Um, that they've always done youth ministry and they think that they're entitled to do youth ministry even if their life is a wreck. How do we decipher decipher that? How do we yeah. discern that outside of the help of the Lord? And sometimes we still get it wrong. Yeah. Um, and that's why. What the Pharisee does in the story in Luke 18 that is so destructive 
is he is solely focused on the tax collector. Mm, He's yeah. not focused on himself. And that's, again, that's how we, like, we can only do so much. We can only respond to the things that we know about within the church. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, and so sometimes we're going to make a mistake in judgment of, like, oh, well, this person, maybe they were in this group, but we thought they were in this group. You know, that's, you know, that's all yeah. we can do. Is, I mean, because you've got to trust people on some level in the church to even be able to do what we do. Um, but, like, we don't want to be the Pharisee where we're constantly focused on someone else. Like, I am far more concerned with what's going on. And I don't mean this in a selfish way, but maybe I do spiritually speaking. Like, I'm far more concerned with what I've got going on inside my heart right now that, that God needs to iron out yeah. than what he needs to do in someone else's life. Yeah. I mean, I don't have time to play that game. I don't have no. time for that whatsoever. I've got too much stuff God wants to do in my heart for me to be worrying about what the tax collector over there yeah. has going on in his heart. Um, and so that, that that's trying to decipher between those two groups is a difficult thing. We leave it up to the Lord. We do the best that we possibly can. Yeah. But that that true hypocrite is so hard to reach because they don't know that they need reached because they've they've got a resume that tells me that that would tell anyone hey on the outside everything's fine mm -hmm. don't come questioning me don't come over here acting like i've like i'm not saved don't come over here bringing that mess around here because look i've been teaching this i've been doing this i've been uh, i do you know and some of them they even they have great spiritual disciplines right um and so it fools them all the more mm -hmm. when they show up for church um, consistently, they show up to serve, they give an offering, they, they might even have a, a daily time where they pull their phone up and read yeah. the Bible and all yeah. this, and, and yet still inside their heart there's still something missing. It's because they never responded to the true gospel. Yeah. Man, that's, that's tricky, and, but it is the call of the church is to get that gospel message to everyone, including the people in the walls. Um, and... I, the next kind of thing that I jotted down, which we actually kind of talked about a little bit just now, is that merit versus mercy and the difference between the stance of the tax collector and mm -hmm. the stance of the Pharisee when it came to that. Um, would you help us dive a little deeper yeah. in that? Yeah. So behavior modification on the outside is completely un incapable of changing your heart. And that's what's wrong with the, the merit crowd is they are hoping that something they do outwardly will eventually catch up and change them inwardly, yeah. and it won't. It just won't do it. Transformation always flows from the inside out. So if you, this is why, like, sometimes people go like, oh, I can't come to the Lord yet. i got to get my life cleaned yeah, up. Yeah, and you yeah. go, oh, well, you ain't ever going to get your life cleaned <laughs> up, bro. Right, that's right. Not on your own. Yeah. You might be able to stop what you're doing for a little while, or you might be able to stop one thing, but, but at the moment you stop one thing, I promise a new vice will right? pop up. Like, it's just human nature. None of us follow our own moral code perfectly, regardless of what your moral code is. Yeah. So the merit crowd is always looking for something externally to take away the guilt that they feel inwardly. Mm, that yeah. will just never happen. It will never be enough. You'll ne you, you cannot outdo the amount and the weight of your sin. Yeah. That's why the only true option is relying on mercy, to receive something that you do not deserve whatsoever and that's where the tax collector he didn't have to get it all together whatsoever but i i think that the reason why a lot of churches or pastors or christians are more comfortable with the merit rather than the mercy is because they're afraid hey if we emphasize the mercy 
then how are we going to disciple this person out of their life of sin? Because nobody is saying that's not what should happen. Right. But what you try to clean up the outside, the inside never gets it. Yeah. You start with the inside, and then it's a messy process. Um, but then, like, so um, I didn't get to get into it on Sunday, but, like, if you want to know what happens when you start with the heart and go outward, because Jesus leaves it at that. He goes, hey, tax collector walked away justified before the Lord. And I can imagine the church crowd going, yeah, but what happens next? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and that's a fair question. We should be concerned with what happens next. Mm-hmm. Right. Like yesterday, um, and I'm saying yesterday because we're recording Monday, but I know this doesn't come out till Wednesday. But yesterday we had at least seven people give their lives to Christ. Yeah. Now, for some churches, they go, praise God, let's celebrate that. And you should celebrate that. Right. But I'm not done with those people there. Absolutely. We have a responsibility for what's next. Yeah. So if you want to know what happens next for the tax collector, we get a good insight into that and a story that happens later on in um, Luke's gospel, we get a story of a tax collector coming to faith in Jesus, being justified in his heart before the Lord. His name is Zacchaeus. And then you get to see what happens next. Yeah. You get to see not only when Zacchaeus asked Jesus to come to his home, Jesus comes to his home, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. He is justified, just like the tax collector in Luke 18. But then we get to see what happens next. And Zacchaeus goes, as the result of what you have done inwardly to cleanse me, because I am now justified and right before the Lord, he goes, I'm going to pay back all of my debts. I'm going to start being honest. I'm going to, oh, because transformation flows from the inside out. If, If Jesus had showed up and told Zacchaeus, hey, you need to start paying back what you did. You need to stop being a... Um, a thief, you need to stop this, 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 and this. Zacchaeus would have never been able to, in his heart, fall in love with Jesus. But because he fell in love with Jesus, because Jesus did for him what he could not do for himself, then he was overwhelmed with love to go and begin to right the wrongs that he had caused on the outside. It always flows that way. So we actually do get to see what happens next. We just don't see it in this story. And the neat thing is that Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's actually a chief tax collector, which meant that he was a tax collector of tax collectors. Um, So we get to see what's actually next. Because I know that the church should be concerned with what's next. This is not some competition to get people to raise their hand at the end of a service the way you can post on Facebook or tell your denomination, hey, we had all these salvations and such, and it's like, yeah, but what happened to those people a month later? Right. If they're not in a small group, if they're not um, in some sort of discipleship process to help them to, to actually follow Jesus, then, um, then, then something has gone awry yeah. in that. You, you're, like, we can't just emphasize the reaching. We also have to emphasize the teaching of those that we have reached. That's why in Matthew 28, Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples. So, yes, get people converted and teach them to follow all the things that I've told you. And then baptize them. It's like once you've reached them, oh, I think that might have just helped me with something I was working on. Praise, you, praise the Lord. Um, once you reach them, then you're supposed to teach them. Then they're supposed to be baptized. And then they're supposed to be unleashed out to go and do what it is that you did in the first place. Yeah. Right? So yeah. that's actually... The path that's actually that, that's what's supposed to take place in the church. That's what's supposed to happen next. So we should be concerned with salvations, yeah. but we should also be concerned with discipleship. And really, um, unhealthy churches only normally focus on one of those. Yeah. Right. The really, really, really big 
uh, mile-wide, inch-deep churches focus on reaching yep. people, but they don't focus on discipling them. And then your, you know, your discipleship churches, they have trouble reaching people. They, they're like, no, we're just, we're just here to preach the Word. We're here to preach the Word. We're not, you know, God will send them. God will send them, and they're not doing anything to go and, and evangelize. So yeah. they, they neglect that because they're discipleship, but all of this is in the evangelistic church. And you got, if you're going to be successful at doing church in the future, it's got to be both. Yeah, man, that's such a good point. And I think um, for any leader who's listening, um, it's going to be a helpful point too. Yeah. Um, is there any other points or discussion topics that you think would be um, helpful as we kind of close in t- um, today's discussion? No, uh, I'm excited. This week we're going to turn a corner where for the next three weeks, now that we've kind of discussed all the dirty laundry of the church for the next three weeks, <laughs> we're going to talk about how successful churches yeah. will do church in the future um, and really start walking through that. So, um, I don't want to. I didn't want to end the series on like a negative note yeah, of like, yeah, hey, look, we we messed this up. We've messed this up. We've messed this up. And I don't like people um, that only ever point out problems. If yeah. you don't actually have solutions, then you're as much of a troublemaker as the next yeah. person. It's a pro- it's a problem. It's not a yeah. gift to be able to point out problems. Yeah. It's a gift to be able to point out problems and give solutions. Yeah. So that's what we're going to start this week. Yeah, I love that. And so, again, if you have not followed along with this series, it's Stained Glass Crash. You can find it on YouTube, um, Facebook. Just search SRCWV to locate that. Um, This week, be encouraged. Know that um, if you are someone who has a history of deep religion, don't move forward in faith and actually leave God out of it. Um, make God the center of that, and you will see incredible changes happen in your life and the lives of others as God just breaks down walls around us um, to see the impact of Christ. We can't wait to see you next time. You can subscribe and follow and share this podcast with anyone and everyone, and we hope to join you next time. Thanks for tuning in to The Extra Point. Be sure to subscribe to the Southridge Church Podcast and tune in every Wednesday for another episode of The Extra Point.